We're in a sermon series on work right now, now, where we've already learned that work is good. And that we don't just work for a paycheck, but we work because we are created in the image of God. And as image bearers, therefore, God's a worker and he made us to be workers. And that means if you don't work, if you don't work, you're actually missing out on something that God designed you and I to actually do. So that without it, you will lack some of the joy and purpose that God intended for you to have here in this life and to experience right now. Some of that joy and purpose comes through work. But now here's where we have to be so careful. Because there's a sinful tendency that we all have as human beings. And it's that tendency that I want to talk about today in light of Work. It's the tendency that we all have to take a good thing, even that God gave us, and try to turn it into a God thing or an ultimate thing that we build our lives around so that we no longer need Him. And Romans chapter 1 talks about this. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul puts his finger right on the condition of the human heart and what's at our heart problem. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 in your Bibles, and I'm going to be reading in verse 18. Romans chapter 1. Paul is going to talk about the human heart, and he's going to peel back the top layer and show us underneath what really is going on. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the what? Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Oh, there, there's, there's six to ten sermons in this passage I'm going to read on, and I'm holding back. I'm going to try to just do one today. But oh my goodness, right there that phrase, folks, tells us The biggest problem for human beings is not an ignorance problem. Oh, I don't know there's a God. I don't have enough evidence. I I don't know there's a God. It's that you take the truth you do know, and what do they do with it? Suppress it. it. Nobody can say, I didn't know. I didn't know. You say, why, Brad? Well, we're going to keep reading. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known about God is manifest to them. For God has shown it to them. For Where do they see it, Brad? For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are fuzzy and barely discernible. Clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Nobody's going to be able to stand before God and say, I didn't know. I just didn't have enough evidence. I didn't know. They know. They know. The biggest problem with the human heart, folks, is not lack of evidence. It's hardness of heart. I don't want there to be a God because I don't want to be accountable. But I'm going to stay with sermon for today. Verse 21, because although they knew God, they knew God. 
They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise. They became what? Fools. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Now, I know some of your translations say for a lie. But in the original Greek, it is a definite article that's emphasized in front of it. It's the lie. Not just a lie. What's the lie? That I don't need God. That I can be autonomous. That I can be self-sufficient. That, that life can be lived under the heavens as if the heavens are brass. That's what Ecclesiastes was about. Life under the sun. Everything's right here, right now. I got all I need. I can be satisfied. I can do this without God. That's the lie. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lusts for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Do you see what's going on in this passage? Paul uses the word exchange three times. I would encourage you to mark all three of them. That is what this passage is about. And stay with me. I know the passage I read ended with homosexuality. And we tend to get distracted and shift all our thoughts to that. And say, oh, he's talking about those people. No, he's talking about us. The key words there are those three exchanged. And he's talking about all of humanity. I don't believe Paul ever intended... From this passage to highlight or emphasize and make a point that homosexuality is worse than any other sin. He simply lays hold of homosexuality as one of the most obvious, visible examples of how sin distorts and twists God's good gifts, including our sexuality. The whole passage, if we had time to read it, he's going to go on, if you keep reading, with a laundry list of sins that I think you'll find yourself somewhere in. So this passage is directed to all of us. And what he's doing is it tells us something about the human heart as to why we do what we do On a level that's much deeper than what you just see going on all around you. We can see what people do. Romans chapter 1 tells you why they so often do it. Romans chapter 1 gives us the sin beneath the sin and gives us motive. In other words, what Romans chapter 1 is teaching us about the human condition is that we, all of us as human beings from birth, are guilty of a cosmic distortion. A cosmic distortion or a vertical exchange of the glory of God. For something else created in this world. I don't want God. I don't want his glory. Instead I want something else in this world that's created. That's finite. To be my ultimate reason for living. And to satisfy me. In other words. Every human being. 
is at the customer service exchange counter trying to trade God in for something else. Something else in this world. And, and, and the ways we do it and the things we try to trade him in for are as diverse. I could stand here and talk all day long. We do it with all kinds of things. But today I'm going to talk about how we try to do it with work. With work. They exchange the glory of God. Paul draws our attention. And here's what's also worth noting. It's this cosmic distortion or vertical exchange of the glory of God for something else in this world that is actually what reverberates inside of all of our horizontal sin problems that we got going on with people around us, whether it's your home or out there in the workplace. The problems we have on a horizontal level with each other are complicated and exacerbated and confused even more by the fact that there's first this vertical distortion. I don't want God and God's glory. And what that causes me to do is to chase after other things. And guess what? So often the conflicts that we have in our lives is because somebody's in my way. And somebody's not helping me get what I want because I don't just want this. I demand this because I need it to satisfy me and fulfill me. And so there's all this confusion on a horizontal level. Ignorant of a greater vertical heart problem. He draws our attention to it by this word exchange. Look, look at them again and mark them. Verse 23. He says, we exchange the glory of God the immortal God for something finite or created in this world. Look at verse 25. He says, we exchange the truth, some of your versions say, about God or of God for the lie. This lie that you don't need God. Just, just find, someone, find someone to marry. A great marriage. Oh, that didn't get it? Oh, half children. Hmm. Oh, children didn't do it? Just praise God you didn't kill them because now it's grandchildren. Apart from children, you can't have grandchildren. So kids didn't really make me happy, but oh, they produced grandchildren for me. And just whatever, image, accolades, achievement, pleasure, hobbies, work, you name it. The human heart is endless in its ways to make idols out of other things. John Calvin said the human heart is a factory of idols because of Romans 1. We're constantly exchanging the glory of God for something else. The truth of God for the lie. And so homosexuality, then that third exchange right there in verse 26, is Paul just says, let me give you one visible example of how sin twists and distorts something good God gave us as we try to satisfy ourselves apart from God. So now with that framework in place from Romans 1 of God's glory... God's good design and our sinful tendency to twist it and try to turn it into a God or something ultimate that we build our lives around. Let me point out what I think are some of the most common ways we're guilty of twisting this good gift of work and trying to get it to do for us what it was never designed to do. Here's the first, number one. Your work should never be your ultimate source of satisfaction. Stay with me because a whole bunch of you just said, not a problem, big guy. I hate my job. (laughs) Don't check out on me yet. Do you realize that you could be guilty of this first point and it could be the very reason you hate your job so much? 
Because you keep expecting it to do more than it was ever designed to do for you. You're not satisfied enough in other things. And so you bring too much yearning to this job and need it to do too much for you. Oh, listen to me. Looking to your work for ultimate satisfaction. Don't even be saying there's not anything wrong with wanting to, you know, should I not enjoy a little bit something about this job? I understand, yes. Yes, that's a normal desire. But looking to your work for ultimate satisfaction, even if your work is homeschooling your children at home, is not just a bad idea. It is a deadly spiritual Danger that can suck you down the wrong path and leave you devastated and empty, all the while saying, But I was trying to do it to the glory of God. But I was trying to do it to the glory of God. And you don't realize, Oh, but it became your, say it, God. Could you shift from doing something to the glory of God? And it actually now is my God and my very meaning of life. And here's where I try to get all my joy and purpose and not know you've done it. You say, but it's my, it's my life, Brad. Wouldn't I know what I've done? No, that's what's so horrible about us. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. And who can know it? Good news, verse 10. God says, I, the Lord, search the heart. He knows the heart. But very often, the only way we find out that we have placed our hopes and our joys and our ultimate satisfaction in the wrong place is when that place collapses and crumbles. Whether it's job or even if your job is a stay-at-home mom managing the home and homeschooling your kids, you say, no, 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 that's not my ultimate source of purpose and meaning and self-worth and joy. And that's easy to say when it's all going well. And when one of those little offspring goes off the rails and you say, I'm struggling to get out of bed. I'm struggling to read my Bible. I'm struggling to have joy. You realize, uh-oh, my joy and my satisfaction more than I realized was tied to that. Often we don't know until it's shaken or taken from us. And then you're left realizing, oh, I think that meant more to me than it was supposed to. I think I had placed more of my hopes there than I should have. Listen to me. Whenever your joy or ultimate satisfaction starts to center around what you do or what you can achieve... Oh my goodness, your joy from that point forward can be so easily taken from you. From that point forward, it can be so easily taken from you. You In other words, if you start placing your joy and ultimate satisfaction and center around anything you do or you achieve, you just put your joy at risk and made it much more vulnerable In a fallen, broken world that's filled with chaos and insecurities. You cannot control your children. Some of you maybe think you can. Just let them keep growing. You cannot control all that's going on in our world and in the workplace. There's so much that we can't control. And so if you place your joy in what you do or what you think you are achieving or attempting, you just put your joy at risk. In his book, The Gospel at Work, Sebastian Traeger confesses how he fell into this very trap, even as a Christian. And he never saw it. 
He never saw it until he faced the devastation that comes with placing all your joy and satisfaction in what you do or what you can achieve. In his opening chapter of his book, he talks about how he and a friend started a company, started a business, and it took off. It took off and it did well. It did really well. In fact, it did so well that just five years into the venture, he had buyers chasing after them, wanting to buy it, wanting to buy it, wanting to buy it. And finally, they decided to sell it. Just five years of running this, they decided to sell it. He says they walked through months of heady, surreal negotiations with lawyers and lots of paperwork and phone calls and mahogany tables and conference rooms and meetings and until they finally sat down for that final closing to sign the final paperwork that he said shifted ownership of his company to someone else and left him with, he says, quote, a notable chunk of change. Now, on a human level, according to the human heart and everything about our world, good day, bad day, really good day, right? This is the stuff people dream about. Starting some company and then selling it for a ton of money and you never need to work again. That's what everybody always thinks, right? And he says it it was the beginning. He says it was a great day. It was the beginning of a new era in my life. He says, but after the dust settled, I began to realize I need to find something to do now. Here's what people don't realize. Because you're created in the image of God, you're not happy just sitting around. My wife, Vicky loves to watch these unsolved mysteries, and it's always the husband just antifreezed his wife to death. But anyway, she watches them, and I always walk in the bedroom and say, I know who did it, I know how he did it, see ya. But anyway, <laughs> there was this one that, that showed these police officers that were really good at what they did, and they retired fairly early. And they all moved to the same area of a nice place on the coast to play golf, and after six months... So they looked at each other and said, I'm sick of playing. Isn't it funny? When you're working, you're like, oh, if I could just play golf every day. Then when you play golf every day, you're like, I'm sick of this. If I could just work and do something. They all went back to work as consultants. And they said, we wanted to use our skills and to do something that mattered. So there he is now with a chunk of change. And he's young. And he said, I realized I got to find something else to do now. And he says, I looked and I looked and I looked. And I looked for a really long time. Now you would think, just like I think he thought, he would be attractive. He's already been successful. Someone wants to use him. He said doors closed. Applications were rejected. Phone calls were not answered. And emails continually were, quote, lost. And he says he found himself in a place he never anticipated. Unemployed. And he said that place filled him with self-doubt. He said his emotions plummeted. And he said his faith was barely limping along. But now I want you to listen to what he says when, he, when God by his spirit and his grace helped him. What he realized that we are so slow to recognize. He says, and I'm going to quote him. How did this happen? Why did I experience such a profound shift of my emotions and hopes? Why was my faith shaken so deeply? Looking back, I can see why. My hopes had not been rooted in God. They had been rooted in my circumstances, in my professional success. 
and in my ability to control the future. My sense of well-being was wrapped up in my professional success. Once that was gone, I was devastated. My God had been ripped from under me and I fell hard. Yes, you will. And often you don't even know it or see it till you're in the middle of it. Listen to me. Work is good. And it's a reflection of God. But work was never designed to bear the weight of all your satisfaction and joy. It can't. Homeschooling children, raising children, whether work in the home, outside of the home, none of it. It's good. It's a reflection of God. But it was never meant to bear the weight of all your satisfaction and joy. That has to come from something outside of work. And I would say not from something, from someone outside of work. And that's a relationship with Jesus Christ that is all satisfying as you love and relate to someone who does not change. Coworkers change, supervisors change, companies got, get bought, ugly stuff happens, kids can break your heart and look at you and you think, after all I've done, this is, uh huh, this is Jesus never fails. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, he's unchanging, unchanging. Make your greatest source of satisfaction and security and joy your relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, a second way that this can get distorted and we can take work and try to do something it was never designed to do. Your work should never be your attempt to make a great name for yourself. Please do your work with excellence. So don't hear me saying, oh, let's turn this into a communist country and say everybody just stop caring. Please do your work with excellence to the glory of God. But I want you to note something about the human heart that's so subtle. Be careful. We don't realize how often in our attempt to do what we do with excellence to the glory of God, lurking just beneath the surface of that is a desire to be recognized for doing excellent work. Now, now, is that normal? Is it not normal to want to be recognized if you're doing excellent work? You're knocking it out of the park. You'd like someone to say, good job. Is that normal? Yes. yes. Do you always get it? And here's what we don't realize. That normal desire to be recognized for doing excellent work can morph into a sinful demand. I must be recognized. And we have this propensity as sinners that we are glory robbers. We want the glory. We, you, don't, you don't just want something. I mean, think about how much it hurts. Yes, there's, it's one thing to be thrown on the ground and take a beating, a literal beating. But does it not just about hurt as much when you're sitting in a meeting and something that was your idea and something you killed yourself on for months all of a sudden, the whole thing goes down in a way that your name isn't mentioned at all. In fact, someone else's name is mentioned instead of your name. Does that not just like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I know it's hard, but it, it happens. Be careful that it's not, oh, I want to I do excellent work to the glory of God. Just beneath that can also be, and I want to be recognized. If I'm not recognized, 
I won't keep doing excellent. And then, you, then it exposes who were you doing it for to begin with. Remember Ephesians 6? We do it not as men pleasers, but as under the Lord. You're a slave of Christ. As under the Lord. You're a slave of Christ. You've never done anything that your Savior didn't see. He sees it. Other people may not see it. Other may, people may see it and not even commend you. But you keep doing it as unto the Lord. But here, here's another problem with your name getting too tied up with what you do. If it's all about your name, whether you're aware of it or not, that you really want to make a great name for yourself, then you're going to want to hit home runs all the time, every time, right? That's what gets everyone's attention, home runs. Not singles, not bunts, certainly not strikeouts. Nobody talks about that or raves about that. But here's what we've got to understand. God gifts us all differently. There are players that never hit home runs, that are valuable and paid well because they're steady. They get other people on base. They're just steady, steady singles. Even those that hit home runs, if you do any reading about baseball, they also have a high percentage of strikeouts. We have this sense in the workplace, I just want to hit home runs. Oh, listen to me. If we could get our heads around singles, bunts, and even strikeouts that don't cause you to say, I'm out, I'm done, and you can just do that for a lifetime for the glory of God. You can bring glory to God because God has called us to faithfulness for his glory, not home runs for the fame of our name. Faithfulness. And here's the other thing. Let me encourage you a moment. Your name might never be talked about at work in a good way. Some of you, it's a different sermon. It's talked about a lot. Your lazy butt. They wish you weren't there. That's a whole different series. Right now, it's your excellent worker and you wish people noticed it. Your name might never be talked about at work like you wish it was. But consider this. God, right now, while no one else at work is talking about it, may be saying to the angel of coast, cherubim, right over here. Get, get, get over here. Stop singing. Get over here. Seraphim, right over here. Look at her. Look at her. Faithfully doing excellent work and no one even sees it. And when they do see it, they never even commend her. That's what I'm looking for. See that? That's what I'm looking for. Oh my goodness, that's it right there. You are serving for an audience of one, one, one. Now contrast what I just said to what you often hear in our world. Og Mandino was the inspirational speaker and author that sold over 50 million bucks, books translated into 25 different languages about success. And he said some good things. Everything isn't heretical. But here's one thing that's very dangerous that he said, that, that it basically boils down to one of the things that he said. Success, really. Success really is about you getting other people to believe you're successful. Oh my goodness. Do not go there. Track with me. The moment you make your evaluation of how successful you are based on the opinion of others about you, you just became the slave of other people. Does that make sense? I now need them to think that I'm successful. And here's what happens. Oh, it's a miserable way to live. It's a nightmare. Why? 
Because the rules are always changing about success. The rule, what it is is always changing. And you will get sucked into spending money you don't have and doing things you shouldn't be doing to capture getting other people to think you're successful. Because what you should be driving is always changing. Oh, it's not that. When I was a boy, it was the Lincoln Town Car. Sorry if you have one of those. That's so not it. It was that big swollen one. I mean, they were everywhere. Where are they now? That is so yesterday. Now, don't hear me saying it's a sin if you have a nice car. But let's be honest. The nice car is a different nice car today. What happened? What always happens? What you're driving. Oh, it's not that. What you're wearing. It's not that. Oh, you're eating there. Oh, that's not it now. No one goes there. That used to be it. Not it. You will feel insecure constantly if you've decided success is me getting you to believe I'm successful. Now I'm dependent on your opinion and I am the slave of culture that is always changing. We're to be slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ who never changes. Then you have the freedom as a 54-year-old to wear what you want. It happens all the time. I got kids that are 28 to 18. I think I'm pretty with it, but that's how we all think. I come out of the bedroom and they're like, this happens all the time. Oh, dad, no, no, you cannot wear those tennis shoes with jeans. Shorts, yes, but not. Dude, I'm wearing it with jeans and I don't care. I do what I want. Dad, not that. No, no, no. I do what I want now. That's, that's one of the great joys of getting older. I mean, pretty soon I'm going to be mowing with black nylon socks and shorts. That's where we're headed. And you wonder how it happens. Like, what is he doing? He's old. It happened gradually. I'm just doing semi-dumb things. Pretty soon, big dumb. But just big don't care. I'm not trying to win your approval. I'm, I've settled in. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Number three. <laughs> A third way that you can twist this good gift of work and try to get it to do what it was never designed to do. Your work should never be first and foremost about making a difference in the world. Oh, hang on, because I think I confused some of you. And you might say, what? Wouldn't that be a good thing? As Christians, we want to make a difference in the world. And we want to... Yes. Stay with me a minute. Because remember, idolatry is not always a totally wrong thing. It's taking a right thing and adding a little bit of a sinful too much you in it. That's why this is hard to get your hands around and why people are so prone to say, but all I was doing and all I want is all... Yes. You're going to need the Spirit of God to help you. Just like with pride, do you wake up and say, I think I'm the most proud person I know. No, you see it in other people. We don't see pride in ourselves. We don't recognize idolatry in ourselves readily. So stay with me. There is something profoundly right in wanting to make a difference in the world. It's a reflection of you being an image bearer. God wants to make a difference in the world. God cares about people. It's right. But even that can become idolatrous when you start to gauge the value of what you think you do in your work based on its perceived impact on the world. All I do is... But all I do is, right? You can do anything to the glory of God. It doesn't have to be grand. It doesn't have to shake Eastern Europe. It doesn't have to change the way we live. It doesn't have to be the iPhone and now life's never been the same. And you thought of it. Thank you. Wow. 
News alert. Most of us are never going to do anything that will be talked about 25 or 50 or 100 years from now. You're just not. Not probably. So here's the thing. Your desire to make a lasting difference, which is right, and change the world even. Think about how much you hear that today. Change the world. Eric Clapton's got a song, Change the World. John Mayer's got a song, Waiting for the World to Change. It's all about change the world. That desire just might be what keeps you from ever settling into what God has called you to do. Because you're always looking for something more grand and more significant. Does that make sense? And I watch people, and I'm sorry, I'm going to pick on the younger generation. We used to just think, i got to get a job. Because our parents wouldn't let us live in the basement, so we had to get jobs. And, but now, everyone's waiting on that grand thing. They've got such abilities, and I haven't found that thing yet that really is using all my gifts and... It's like, what? You, you may have some gift. Here's the other thing. I hear people say, well, God wouldn't give me these abilities and then me not use them. Yes, he would. There's about a dozen abilities I have that I'm not using. And you're the same way. You've got, you have to make choices. There's all kinds of things you could do that you may never do. And you need to settle in to what has he called you to do and do it faithfully Bunts, singles, strikeouts for a lifetime to the glory of God. And very often we've got people that are looking for a bigger stage. When God sees you faithful with bunts and singles, sometimes then he'll grant you a bigger stage for maybe a home run. But just show him that you're willing to do bunts and singles and strikeouts to the glory of God. And let him decide how big of a platform you should have. I want to be faithful God, I want to be faithful. Everything doesn't have to be grand and significant. Listen to me. One simple thing done well for a lifetime to the glory of God is far better than that person who jumps all around haphazardly all the time with their life looking for something bigger and more significant to give their lives to. And you end up Never doing anything well. Faithfulness. Just a few years ago, David Brooks wrote in the New York Times about a discussion that a Stanford professor had as he did a survey with students and college graduates asking them, why did you choose the job you chose? Why do you choose the job you choose after after college? And here's what he said struck him most about the survey. And I'm going to quote him. Many of the students seem to have a blinkered, a blinkered view of their options. There's crass but affluent investment banking. There's the poor but noble nonprofit world. And then there's the world of high-tech startups, which magically provides money and coolness simultaneously. But there was little interest in or awareness of the ministry, the military, the academy, government service, or a zillion other sectors. Furthermore, few students showed any interest in working for a company that actually makes products. And then he says something very insightful, even though I don't think he's a Christian. Quote, community, community service has become a patch, P-A-T-C-H, 
for morality. Now stay with him. Oh, this is so insightful. When I read it, I was like out loud. Yes, he's put into words something that I knew is wrong and I didn't know what. This whole, that everything has to be about community service and dig a well and feed somebody. And Yes, we should dig some wells. Yes, feed some people. But this whole sense, that's all we want to do. And I'm living the simple life and I'm backpacking and I'm simple. And oh, corporate America and businesses are just bad. Most of these backpacking, simple life people couldn't exist unless their parents had worked a real job and had money to fund them. Ow! And so if we stop having people who work jobs, run businesses, sacrifice, do hard work, this whole thing is just going to collapse. It is not a sin to make a product and to make a profit. And to employ people and to give a service to people. You reflect God in doing so. He says community service has become a patch for morality. Many people today have not been given vocabularies to talk about what virtue is, what character consists of, and in which way excellence lies. So they just talk about community service. Isn't that good? See, you can can have character. Sometimes you can talk about community service and you don't have character. You don't know what virtue is and you don't know where excellence lies, but it sounds right and it sounds so cool that you talk about community service. He says, in whatever field you go into, you will face greed, frustration, and failure. You may find your life challenged by depression, alcoholism, infidelity, your own stupidity, and self-indulgence. And then he concludes with this biblical insight. Around what ultimate purpose should your life revolve? You can devote your life to community service and be a total schmuck. Isn't that good? And he says, you can spend your life on Wall Street and be a hero. Understanding heroism and schmuckdom requires fewer Excel spreadsheets, more Dostoevsky and the book of Job. Now, if you're not a reader, Dostoevsky was a Russian author of novels that are big novels that show people of character. Character and virtue. You understand what he's saying? You can throw yourself into community service and a nonprofit organization your whole life and still do it in a way that does not please the Lord because it's not what you do, it's how you do it and for whom. You do it. So you can work for GE to the glory of God. You can be an accountant to the glory of God. You can be a surgeon to the glory of God. You can be a small business owner to the glory of God. All of it can be done to the glory of God. You can work on a factory floor to the glory of God. John 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 Piper captures it well when he said this. You don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world. Good news. Now please know, I want my life to make a difference. So I'm not saying that's bad. You don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a difference in the world. But you do have to know a few great things that matter. Perhaps just one. The people that make a lasting difference in the world are not the people. Stay with me. We sometimes think, I need more skills. I need more. The people who make a lasting difference are not the people who have mastered many things. But the people who have been mastered by one great thing. Let me ask you, have you been mastered by one great thing yet? And do you know what that one great thing is? Knowing and loving 
Jesus Christ with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And when you've got that, go into the workplace and do just about anything and you'll be doing it to the glory of God. That's why Augustine, the great theologian and bishop of Hippo, said this. And it confuses some people when they run across it and they think, what? He said, love God and then do whatever you please. And if, if that doesn't make sense to you, just keep reading your Bible. Because the person who truly loves God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength doesn't need a lot of rules because they're driven and motivated out of love for God to please Him, to serve others, to give their life away. That's why the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians, for the love of Christ compels me, not rules, not spankings, not discipline, love. When you love the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you can go out into the workplace and do just about anything. And you'll be doing it to the glory of God. One last distortion of ways we can take work, a good thing, and try to get it to do what it wasn't designed to do. Your work should never swallow up your entire identity. Those two things should never merge, whether you're a mother. That's always a role. That should never capture it. That's, that's all I am. I'm just one big mother. Well, you might be little. <laughs> mother is it. I'm, I'm the big mother. <laughs> oh, that was funny. <laughs> Not in my notes. I amuse myself sometimes. <laughs> Whatever it is you do, that should never be synonymous with who you are. That there's no distinction. Even for me as a pastor, I cannot let it become, I'm just a pastor. No, there better be, I'm Brad Bigney, child of God, in relationship with Jesus Christ. And oh, by the way, I have the privilege of serving him. Oh, you got to keep that distinction because bad, toxic, destructive things start happening when you lose your identity into your work. And yet Hollywood, Hollywood so often promotes this as a good theme. It's a theme that you see in many of the blockbuster movies that I'm going to find my worth and my identity and what I do. I'm going to prove that I am somebody. I'm going to achieve in a way that finally I'll know I have arrived. And, and it, it creates blockbusters. Why? Because the human heart. Think about it. Think about what I'm talking about. Remember Rocky Balboa? Rocky, one, two, three, four, five, six, yay, barely even seven now, fame. Why have those movies grossed over a billion dollars? Because the human heart resonates with this longing to prove that I am somebody. You remember what Rocky said leading up to the the big fight in the first movie? He said, I don't need the championship. I don't want the prize money. And he was poor. He said, all I want is to go the distance and to stay in the ring 15 rounds. I quote him now. Hadrian! If I can go the distance and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the very first time in my life that I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. What's going on? 
Hey, you don't have to be an athlete to be caught up in this. I believe there are people sitting in this room and people all over our city and all around us in our culture who are trying to make work. I'm going to prove, my dad didn't love me. I never heard good job. I, I've not gotten it. I don't feel like I'm worth anything. I'm gonna prove it in the workplace. I'm gonna achieve. I'm gonna work and work and work and prove that I am somebody. Oh, listen to me. Don't go there. If you tie your identity to your work and career and success, you just made it so vulnerable. Because career and work success, are they not so fragile in our world? One day you're at the top of the heap and can you find yourself at the bottom of the pile faster than you thought? Oh, oh, an industry changes and you didn't see it coming. Someone else thinks of something better. Oh, the company gets bought by somebody else and they're from Holland and they don't care. Right? It's just, this is a, oh my, don't tie your identity and sense of worth to career success Because it's too fragile. That's got to be found in. I am a child of God. I don't need to prove anything to anybody. That's why it's so sweet to me. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. Where it says. And write that down because it's not in your notes. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. That we are accepted in the beloved. Jesus Christ. You, don't, you, don't, you may have had no one in this world accept you, embrace you, commend you, express worth to you. But if you're here and you know Jesus Christ, you have been accepted in the beloved Jesus Christ. And it cannot be taken or shaken from you. It's not all about titles that you might achieve in the workplace. It's about who you choose to serve. And so that's why whether you remove gallbladders or whether you argue court cases or whether you teach as a, in a classroom or serve as an accountant or clean and repair cars or wipe a toddler's nose, you can do it all to the glory of God without needing to prove anything about your self-worth. Oh, that's a place to rest. And when you find that rest, guess what? You start doing some of your best work. When you're trying to prove yourself in your work, it doesn't go as well. Some of your best work to the glory of God will start happening when you rest in the fact that you've already been accepted in the beloved. Wow. So I want to bring it back around to Romans 1 where we started as I close. And I want you to think about this great exchange that Romans 1 is taught about. That here's our heart problem. We keep exchanging glory of God, truth of God for something else in this world. And nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else can bear the weight of your satisfaction and joy. But oh, I've got good news for you. Romans 1 is not the only great exchange you see in the Bible. There's one that's greater. And it's the only hope for any of us to get set free from this cycle of exchanging the glory of God and and chasing after the lie of this world. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, But he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you hear the great exchange? He gets our filthy sin. We get his righteousness. In other words, he gives us new clothes that we don't earn, that we don't achieve, that we don't have to do anything to keep. You say, how does that righteousness become my righteousness, Brad? By grace alone, 
It's a gift. Through faith alone, you can't work for it or earn it. In Christ alone, don't look anywhere else. It's not a system you need with boxes to check. It's a savior you need. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, plus. Because when you add anything to it, you just destroyed it. Oh, come to Christ today. If you're still thinking you can find satisfaction in anything else, you can push on down that path, my friend. And you'll just chase lie after lie after lie. And you will live a life that is doomed to distortion and disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. Because nothing in this world can bear the weight of your ultimate joy and satisfaction. You were made for a relationship with your creator God through his son, Jesus Christ. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Oh God, thank you for your word that not only lays bare our heart and shows us the problem beneath the problem that we would never have figured out on our own. Thank you for the insights from your word. And oh God, thank you that your word does not just show us what's so wrong. It gives us hope and the solution and points us to our Savior, the free gift of the gospel. Oh God, thank you for being such a gracious God and doing for us what we can never do for ourselves. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.